As we come now to God's word, you can turn with me if you'd like to read along to Mark in chapter 13. That's Mark's gospel, chapter 13. This, is, this chapter is what's called the Olivet Discourse, which is a really fancy way of saying Jesus is teaching on the Mount of Olives. And it's the longest teaching together by Jesus and Mark. And there's a lot here in this chapter, so it'll take us three weeks to cover. Uh, this is just the first uh, week of this. We'll, we'll cover the first 13 verses here, but I think it will help us if we read this whole chapter together so we get the gist of his entire teaching on this before we pull it apart. Um, I know some, some say that you're not supposed to read this many verses together, but, but we're a smart people. I think we can handle it. Uh, so we'll read this entire chapter and then focus on the first 13 verses. Before we do, uh, would you please join me as we pray? Our God, as we come before your word, would you humble us? Help us to see you as high as you are, but in the process not to fear. Help us not to worry, but help us to lean forward into this. That as we listen, you would help us to endure, to really have a confidence in you, because you are God. We give you uh, praise then for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Mark chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1, and we'll read through to the end here of the chapter. As he, the he there is Jesus, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say what is given you at that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We'll continue on here. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it might not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead you astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, and from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves... You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey, and when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and finds you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word. Now again, I wanted us to hear all of this together, but we'll focus on the first 13 verses here. Let's give us some context here. Jesus' public ministry at this time has ended. He said the final words before he dies that he says publicly. Uh, we read them last week. He says it when he criticizes the scribes. He's in the temple and he says that publicly in front of everyone. Here now, he's not at a pulpit. He's not in front of a big crowd of people. This is in the context of him sitting and chatting with a few disciples. And he gets very personal here. You see in verse... Three, it says they were sitting on the Mount of Olives, which wasn't far away. It was east of Jerusalem, so you could see the temple there, and they'd walk out in the evenings, and that's where they'd stay. And they're looking at this temple where they had been daily. This is the Passover season, so Jesus would go in every day into the temple, and then the evening they'd come out. When they had just left, this evening was in these first two verses. They just left, and Jesus said, you see that temple? It's going to be thrown down. And you can imagine... The disciples that are walking with him, as they say, that would at least lift one eyebrow, if they can, two eyebrows, if they can't. Uh, wait, the temple's going to be thrown down? 
can almost like hear in their minds all the questions that would go up, wait, what, you know, what they, how is that gonna go? What, what does he actually, does he really mean that? And so when they get now to the place where they're staying, he's sitting with Peter and James and John and Andrew and they ask two questions about these things, which is a reference to the temple being thrown down. You can see it in verse four. Here's the two questions. They ask, tell us one, when will these things be? And two, what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? When will it be and what is the sign? They're really asking uh, the timing in some way of all of these things, and we'll get to address that more fully in a couple of weeks, talking about the timing of all of this. But for now, it's interesting uh, that we tend to, just like they are, to be drawn to the question of when, aren't we? This sort of desire, at least in part of me, to sort of get this little window or peek into the future, to know at least something beforehand. Why do I want that? I think it's more than just curiosity. At least for me and maybe for you, it's an, a, an attempt at some small measure of control. To be able to manage the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, to be able to manage the unknown of the rain and the storms, of the trials, of even death itself. And so they ask, when? What will the signs be? And Jesus does, at least on some level, answer their question, specifically the second question, what will the signs be? And I can imagine right after they ask it, now this is me sort of using my own brain, it's not really in the text, but they ask this question, when will it happen, what will the signs be? And in my head, I imagine Jesus pausing there and looking off at something far distant, you know, having that distant gaze, because his next words are this, let no one lead you astray. The way he, that's the way he starts his discussion now of this, is let no one lead you astray. And that's a fitting introduction because then the rest of what he says, here's the sign, singular, the sign of these things. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will be against nation. There'll be earthquakes and famine. And then in verse 8, he says this striking line at the end. These are the beginning of the birth pains. It's just the beginning. In fact, it might even get more intense. It's probably going to be lasting then. It goes from a global sense, nations, earthquakes, famines, to very personal. You'll face trials, he says. You'll be put on trial. Your family may even deliver you over to death, and you're going to be hated by all for my sake. Those are some real pains. Now, birth pains, then, is a very vivid image. Ladies who have experienced this get what he means. You know, this is Jesus. It's a man talking, so he personally has not experienced this. When he says, these are going to be birth pains, if you imagine back to the time when you yourself had a child and all, the, all that that was, you get it. That's uh, an understatement here. This is not uh, fun. 
and you, we might even wish it were different for pregnant women. It's like, wait, I always heard that you go to the hospital and then like a stork hands you a baby. I, th I thought that's the way it goes, isn't it? You know, somehow you go, you, the, the hospital's like a place where you pick up groceries. It's like, I have a, I have a pickup. Uh, we have one Eliza that we're picking up. Oh, good, here she is. You know, it's much more complex and so much more painful than that. But in some level, it's natural for us to wish there was an easier way for this, but there's just not. Jesus says, for these birth pains in verse uh, 7, at the end he says, these must take place, or it is necessary that these things happen. And I, I wonder, why is it necessary that these hard birth pains happen? In the Old Testament, birth pains, not the, not the actual act of birth pains, but the metaphor of birth pains is often used as a metaphor for judgment upon sin. That birth pains are in some way the effect of the curse that touches even the very edges of the earth. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8. If you turn there, Romans 8, just two verses here. He writes this in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We know that the way that God has set up creation is that he's put mankind as the head of all creation. And so when man sinned, he took creation down in the fall with him. And so now, under the weight of sin, we all groan. For a Christian, it's true that in Jesus, our sin is paid for, not counted against us, and yet we're still affected by and influenced by sin. We know that a, a Christian in Jesus, his adoption is secure, but not yet complete. For the Christian who's in Jesus, his redemption is secure, but not yet complete. So that even creation itself is groaning to be reborn. And it will. It will be reborn. But in the meantime, sin rocks the world. That's, still, that's just as true now as it was in Jesus' day. I mean, you can look out. We live in a world where sex sells. We live in a world where nuclear weapons are a reality. We live in a world where we live by the light of electronic devices. Do you feel the birth pains? Now, this is the place at which some people will say, Jesus is coming tomorrow. 
he's coming tomorrow. Some even are get really uh, gutsy and, and even set up a date at which Jesus is going to come, and then that date comes and goes, and, and then we go, well, you, somehow you, you must have missed something there. And we're, we'll talk about how this may relate to the, re, the second coming of Christ in a couple of weeks. Uh, but for now, we have to focus on the fact that Jesus, when he's answering this question, is specifically talking to these four disciples about their question of the temple. When will these things in the temple be thrown down? And all of, that Jesus has said here was true. It happened in the disciples' lifetime. We know historically, not just uh, the Bible history tells us, that the temple fell in 70 AD and that many fled to the mountains in that process. We know that there were Jewish Roman wars that started in 66 AD. We know that a big earthquake shattered Pompeii in 62 AD, and trials and strife that he's talking about just sounds like, I mean, that's all of Acts. If you read Acts, you're like, yes, that's exactly what he meant. And even the brother delivering brother over to death, that happened to Jesus. That's going to happen to him in two days when Judas comes up and kisses him. Even heavy things happened to the four disciples here. John was put in prison. James was beheaded. Was beheaded. Andrew, uh, tradition tells us, was crucified on an, on an X-shaped cross, and Peter was crucified uh, upside down. And if I were there, listening to Jesus say these heavy things, a part of me would just want to put my finger over my make fingers over my ears. You know, I, 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 I don't really want to hear this. It's very, it's very scary. It's very unnerving. And we know that Jesus is not trying to scare us here. In verse 7, he says, don't be alarmed. In verse, seven, or verse uh, 11, he says, don't be anxious beforehand. The Holy Spirit will be with you even when you're on trial for your life. So if Jesus isn't trying to scare us, why does he tell us this? And I think the answer to that is at the end of the text we're in today, in verse 13. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus wants us here to endure Now, you've heard the phrase, winners never quit. That's not true, by the way. It doesn't come from the Bible. Um, I've never heard a smoker say, winners never quit. You know, uh, not to pick on smokers, but yeah, a lot of smokers are trying to quit. You know, they're like, it's hard work to quit. Um, so there are some things that we should want to quit. Quitting is good sometimes. Um, in fact, that's what, uh, what we want our relationship to sin to be. That it'd be things that we quit, that we repent of, or leave behind with the help of Jesus, that we turn away from it. We should quit if something is not good or not worth it. But if it is good, if it is worth it, don't quit. 
hang on, endure, because it's worth it. So then the question for us becomes, is all of this hardship worth it? I used to be a cross-country runner. I was not good, by the way. Not the right shape or size or, you know, I, I, it just, it hurts a lot. You get things called side stitches where it just feels like your liver's too big for your body and it's trying to escape through your stomach somehow. And I, I just, I was not good at it. I discourage uh, easily. I, and, and I know some people love running. I'm not one of those people. And one of the hardest parts, I think, about cross-country running was uh, we would go to the school we're at, and we'd walk the course. It was 3.1 miles, just so we kind of know where we're going. And almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, the course ends just feet from where it started from. Because this whole huge loop. And then the finish line is over there. And that, I'll tell you, is just awful. I mean, every time when, you know, you, you hear the guy raises the gun to start it, and you bend down, and I look over, and, and when he shoots the gun, I think, I could just run right over there, and it'd be fine. Um, maybe no one will know. In that, a part of me goes, is this even worth it? An exercise for me now is still a struggle. I don't like exercising. It is not fun to me. Uh, it's a struggle for me to care well for my body. But you know how I ever do any exercise at all? It's because I want to be healthy for Laura. I want to be healthy for my daughter. I want to be healthy for the ones I love. They are worth it. It's not the exercise itself. It's not the 3.1 mile loop. There is something bigger that I'm looking to that helps me to endure. Same thing happens with birth pains. How do you endure birth pains? You know, ice chips help. You, you, you put on the pressure points. Maybe epidural even, even helps. Those things can all be helpful. But at the end, how do you endure birth pains? You're waiting for the child. That's how you make it. Jesus even says that in, in John, explicitly. He says this, John chapter 16. Where do I start here? Chapter 16, verse 9. It's in the middle of a discussion here, but he says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, Is this what you're, what you're asking yourselves, what you meant by saying, A little while and you won't see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, 
and no one will take your joy from you. Mm. And Jesus says here that a woman won't remember her anguish. I know a lot of ladies go, mm-hmm, but I, I do remember that anguish. What he means is not that you forget it, right? It's not that it, that wasn't important or that it wasn't hard, but that somehow the joy that comes after so overshadows all of that that it's worth it. And so in Mark, when Jesus is talking here, he says, sorrow will come, sufferings will come, but we're to look to the outcome of it. I want you to look through the birth to the baby. I want you to look through these birth pains because at the end, you'll be with me again. Look through the contractions to the child. Look through all the wars, the rumbles of earthquakes, the trials, the persecutions, the wars, even death itself to me. And once you have me, no one will take your joy. So, in these birth pains, push. Push, push, grab onto something and push, scream if you have to, because he wants us to endure to the end. It will absolutely be worth it. In a physical childbirth, this requires a lot of things. There's sweat, there's blood, there's sometimes tears, there's definitely pain, and often there's preparation. Shouldn't we expect that with the kind of birth pain Jesus is talking about, that it should be the same? Perhaps it might even require more preparation. I mean, with pregnancy, we just went through this ourselves. We, we have all the doctor visits. We kind of tour the birth ward. Uh... We, we read all the books, we take the classes, which we missed, uh, we try to take the classes, we ask the questions, we practice the breathing, we, we, we try as much as we can to be prepared for what's coming. But when it comes to these birth pains, very often, we are not prepared. We think things are fine, we think things will be fine, and so when the trial comes, we're just not ready. We want, then, to be ready. And we can be, with Jesus' help. Do you think that he would tell us this here, and then go, good luck with that, and leave us totally alone? No, he wants us to endure, and so he'll tell us, and he will help us to endure. We need to prepare, but our endurance only comes through Jesus. We need his strength. We need his grace. Uh, we need his presence. And so we're saying, then, Jesus, help me to pack my go bag so that I can endure. I just learned what a go bag is, by the way. Maybe that's just local terminology. Uh, it's a little different than the context of the signs here that Jesus is talking about. Uh, but the go bag is, is, a, is a bag that we packed when we were getting ready for the birth of our child. And you put in it all this stuff that you think you'll need. And, and, and a lot of it we didn't end up using. 
you know? Sometimes you prepare for things, but it, a lot of it's just unknown. So you do your best to prepare, and, and there's just some things we can't know, and so some things will be helpful, some, some will be not. But then the day comes, and, and, and Eliza, or Eliza, Laura says, this is happening, we take the go bag, and we go. And Laura did so much work. I mean, the women are always the ones doing the heavy lifting, of course, when it comes to childbirth. But I'm on some small level involved. And for me, there was one thing in our go bag that helped me to survive. It's a small card, this big, uh, that Laura had made. She drew on it. It was very pretty. And when we got to the hospital, they attach all the things to her. And I'm between the between the the contractions, I'm kind of setting up the room and get Laura. What do you need? How can I help? And and in one of those times, I took the card out of the go bag and I put it on the headboard behind where Laura was. And when Laura was in the middle of delivery, there was a moment at which the monitor that was attached to her that was measuring our baby's heartbeat started to slow down and then started to beep like crazy. And you could tell the nurses, who were very wonderful, very kind people, were keeping a, you know, a normal face, but they were busily doing something. And for a moment, I thought for the first time that it was possible not only that I could lose my child, but lose my wife. <laughs> it was very scary. And I'm sure that moment where that thing slowed down lasted all but five seconds, maybe 10. But as I'm squeezing my wife's hand and fear floods me, my eyes looked up at the headboard. This card that was put up there where Laura had written down a verse from the Bible that I so needed was from Isaiah 41, verse 10. This is what was written there. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I read that over and over, trying to find some sort of foothold. Now, the Lord was merciful. Maybe even part of the, the amount, the level of severity I even imagined in my head, but Eliza and Laura are here. They're okay, good, thriving, happy. Uh, praise the Lord. But, even if the worst had happened and I lost my wife and child like that, what is written on that card would still be true. What was written on that card would still be the rock on which I could stand or probably the rock on which I would just lay and cry for a very long time. We need the word of God in our go bag.
sometimes even physical cards. And we put them up on our, we, we put them on our fridges, on our, on our mirrors. We tuck them into our notebooks at school. We, we hang them in our office. We, we attach them to some clip on the combine somewhere. At least write these things on our hearts, what is true about God. Because this is life for us when those birth pains come and the worst happens. Jesus says in this chapter that heaven and earth, all of it will pass away, but my words, they won't. They won't pass away. They will endure. And so Jesus then prepares us to endure. He says trouble will come. You can see the baby bump of it. But when we face wars and earthquakes, fear not, for I am with you. When we face the floodwaters of a hurricane, be not dismayed, for I am your God. When brother turns against brother, he says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. And even when we're to the point where we're looking death itself in the eye, he says, my righteous right hand will uphold you. Our God is everlasting. And he is our endurance. Would you pray with me? Our Father, our strength is too small. Would you strengthen us? Our Father, our faith is too small. Would you give us faith? Help us not to be afraid and not to worry in whatever birth pains we're facing, but Lord, would you prepare us now to trust you? Would you plant your truth deep in our hearts so that we might endure? We give you all thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.